And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Slam and Jam part of the Athletic NBA show. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up, Andrew? We are back, and we are in a new spot. Every week, we're going to come at you on a Friday. So no more Saturday Slam and Jam. It's just a Slam and Jam, uh, which is exciting. Uh, Something else that's exciting is that we have the NBA season starting next week. And with that, we wanted to bring you something for the third time. This is the third time we've done this. It's uh, surprise teams. Surprise teams. Al, tell us what is a surprise team. And then we are going to run through all the possible surprise teams. Uh, yes, as Andrew mentioned, this is the third year in a row we've done this. If you're a, a new listener, well, this is a great episode to start with because the surprise team uh, holds a very dear place in Slam and Jam history. Uh, so what is a surprise team? A surprise team is a team that has an over-under of 36 or fewer wins, and they exceed that over-under by at least 10 games. So, for instance, if you did have an over-under of 36 for some reason, they're all halves. But if you did have an over-round of 36, you would have to win 46 games to be Ooh. considered a surprise team. Um, last year, we had four surprise teams. Oklahoma City, their over-under was 23.5. They won 40. The Utah Jazz, 23.5, 137. Sacramento Kings, one thirty-four and a, or over-under was 34.5, won 48. And then the Indiana Pacers, over-under was 24.5 and won 35. That's an example of a surprise team. And it sounds hard to do, and it is hard to do, but as we saw last year, it does happen a lot. And if you go back over the last 25 years, there's actually been 42 of these teams over those 25 seasons, an average of 1.68 surprise teams per year. So the goal with this uh, exercise is to look at the teams, look at the options for this year, the candidates, and pick the team that we think has the best shot to wildly exceed expectations. And kind of the point of this is to feel very uncomfortable with your pick. If you felt comfortable, (laughs) it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fun. Two years ago, uh, I picked the Cleveland Cavaliers and it felt insane at the time. Turns out it was right. They, they had this amazing season. So did the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were surprised in that year too. Last year, me and Andrew both picked the Kings. Now I also picked the Orlando Magic who missed it just by a few games. Um, But this does happen. So this is very exciting. Now, the big difference this year, and this is kind of terrifying, last year we had 10 options to choose from, 10 teams who had an over-under below 36. This year we only have seven. And more importantly, we only have one team with an over-under of 25 or less. And why that's significant is because if you look at last season, there were five teams with an over-under below 25. Indiana, OKC, Houston, Utah, and the Spurs. Three of those teams ended up being surprise teams. This year, it's like, if you don't want to pick the Wizards to win 35 games, which I think is understandable, you basically have to choose a team that needs to win at least 39 games. So this this year is tough, okay? I know I said last year was tough. I was lying, clearly. Four <laughs> surprise teams. Super easy year, actually. Uh, this year, I think, is genuinely tough. So before we get into the candidates, just a quick, some teams that just missed the cut. Orlando, Brooklyn, Chicago, all have an over-under of 37.5, just missed yeah. it. And then Toronto was 36.5. They might have been a juicy one, potentially, mm-hmm. if, you, if you buy into the new coach, you know, yeah. third-year Scotty. No, would, would that, would that have tempted you sure. at all? No? <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. That's sure. Okay. All right. Uh, so we have seven teams. We're going to go through them in order from uh, lowest over under to highest over under. And as we go through, we're going to give the arguments both for and against those teams. And then at the very end, me and Andrew will choose our surprise teams. We have not uh, discussed this with each other. So we'll reveal it 
at the same time and see who we're going to be uh, cheering on this year. So let's start with the Washington Wizards. Last season, 135 games, over under this year, 24 and a half. That means they need to win 35 games. Now, the argument for the Wizards is, first of all, they're not particularly young. You know, if you're if you're like me and you spend half your day on HispaniosNBA.com, you'd find... <laughs> it's a great site. Great site. Great site. Only site doing this as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> the Wizards have the 11th oldest roster in the league, average age of 26 mm-hmm. and a half, and that's because they have vets like DeLon Wright, Tyus Jones, Kuzma, Jordan Poole, Daniel Gafford. All rotation guys entering at least their fifth season in the NBA. And you Todd add in Gibson, Mike Muscala. How's Todd Gibson still yes. in the league? What's going on? Fourteen years of experience. <laughs> I saw. Uh, and then you add in, yeah, actually, Taj is probably weighting this <laughs> really heavily. Uh, that that average age. Um, you add in yeah. Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert. I mean, that's that's seven guys I just named yeah. that most people feel are rotation NBA players. And you compare that to the rosters that teams like OKC or Detroit or Houston were throwing out these last couple seasons for the worst team in the league, at least by over-under, to have a roster like this, it does feel kind of unique. Like this this roster has a lot more kind of proven veteran experienced players compared to the bad teams we're used to year to year. And I do think that's interesting. And because they have all those vets – you know, their main rookie, who is Bilal Koulibaly, he's not going to be probably asked to shoulder a huge scoring load. And so he might be able to contribute to winning basketball right off the bat because he can just, you know, lean back on his defense. And he's been looking very good defensively in the preseason. So I think those are the main arguments for the Wizards. Yeah. Um, also, Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole, I know that this is somebody <laughs> that the NBA community likes to dog on, you know? Yes. But he's a good player and like can really score. And he's not I, a non-passer. I mean, he averaged four and a half assists for this warrior for the Warriors last season in like a, a kind of a weird year for him. I just think the NBA world is collectively sleeping on him a bit. Also, they have a lot of shooting off the bench. Like on any given night, and this happened last night in the preseason. Mike Muscala came off the bench and hit five threes just like that. We love Moose. We like Moose. Uh, Danilo Gallinari off the bench for them is another shooter. You got Corey Kispert coming off the bench for them. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is on this team. What? Like, uh, you know, they just have some shooting. Landry Shamit. All these guys yeah. coming off the bench that can just kind of line it up on any given night. Like they just they have a lot of shooting coming off the bench. There's just there's something about this team, man. I don't know. I'm I'm. This is one of my. I know that their over under is very low, and they should stink. This team should stink, but I just I, there's, I just get this feeling about them that I can't shake. Now, did the video of uh, Jordan Poole and Denny Avdia arguing uh, <laughs> affect this at all? Did, did you start worrying about the chemistry? Maybe no, all the things that no, Poole no. are doing aren't no. necessarily contributing to winning basketball. No, what I what I what it made me think is like they actually care, you know. Oh, okay. They, they, yeah. they say when when you're still <laughs> fighting, that's you know that you still care. So I think that okay. they, I I think that they actually care. Wow, uh, wow, that's that's a really impassioned argument for <laughs> the Washington Wizards to start us off. Uh, so the arguments against now uh, this front office made up of Sam Presti disciples, even though we just named all those vets, it yeah. seems reasonable to think that they might be willing to move off of some of those vets during the season if a good deal presents itself. Um, that That's kind of been the MO for, for Presti teams like that. Mm-hmm. And the bigger argument against them for me, against, against them being the surprise team, is in the last three seasons, the Wizards have won 34, 35, and 35 games. Very, very consistent are those Washington yeah. Wizards. Can we really imagine them going through everything they went through this summer? You know, their their owner finally relents, finally willing to do a rebuild. They trade Porzingis. They trade Bradley Beal all to win 35 games again. Is that really going to happen? Uh, Is that, it's, that's like, it's, it's extremely possible. <laughs> I think they have a lot of depth. They just they have do. a lot and, of depth that nobody, I mean, nobody really wants to take a look at this Wizards team. Nobody wants to talk about them, let alone like actually put them under the microscope. But when you look at their depth, they're really good. The only thing that I think they're truly lacking is leadership. 
you know, is like is Tyus Jones like the leader of this team? Is it? I mean, maybe I don't I don't think of him as like some like big vocal leader. So then the concern is like, is it Kyle Kuzma? Is it Pool? You know, Pool's loud. And he's going to be loud. So if, if he's your leader, I I think it becomes a lot more shaky. Yeah, but. Yeah, that to me is like the biggest thing because I think depth is there. When you when you look at some of these other teams, like I mean, the Celtics would love to borrow a bunch of Wizards to be on, to come off their bench. They they would love to switch benches <laughs> with the Wizards like any day of the week. Um, they just they they've acquired a lot of depth because they've made a lot of trades. So, uh, yeah, if you want to pick the the Wizards surprise team. On the one hand, maybe you say to yourself, hey, winning 35 games would be the most Wizards-y thing ever to do uh, for four straight seasons. Mm-hmm. So so maybe I do feel comfortable with that. Maybe that doesn't throw me off. Uh, moving on, though, we're taking a pretty big jump up to the San Antonio Spurs. These next couple teams all have 28 and a half as their over-under. The Spurs won 22 games last season, over-under 28 and a half. That means they would have to win 39 games, which is plus mm-hmm. 17 from what they did last year. The obvious argument for is Victor Wembenyama, best prospect since LeBron. And as a reminder, in LeBron's first season, he came to a 17-win Cavs team, got them to 35 wins, plus 18. However, they were not a surprise team because their over-under was 29 and a half. So they only beat that over-under by uh, six games or so. Yeah. So uh, not a surprise team, but obviously very impressive what LeBron did in his first season. And so if you do think that he is on the level of a general generational prospect like LeBron, maybe you might expect him to be able to turn around a franchise that quickly. I think another argument for the Spurs is that they're unlikely to tank. You know, there's been, uh, you know, people speculating, you know, are they going to play Wembenyama on back-to-backs? Are they going to play him... Uh, all season, you know, is, is he? Re- mm-hmm. can we really expect him to play 60, 65 games? I thought it was notable that at Media Day, Pop said, quote, but this year with development, I think one of the important factors to enhance that development is winning. So winning is as important this year as learning was in the past. So they have to continue to learn, but adding more wins, I think, is appropriate, mandatory, helpful. Sounds like a guy who is kind of back to old Pop, you know, two years ago talking about how much he hated tanking. Then they yeah. did tank last year. Sounds like we're back to normal pop. He doesn't want to do that again. Older guy, you know, why would he want to go through another tanking season? So that yeah. might be they're an also argument playing for him them. a lot in the preseason too. I mean, they're, I know they're like not shying away. Yeah, I mean, I think that you think, oh, they'll probably just like shelve him as much as they can. Like he play, he's like played twenty minutes against the Rockets last night. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been playing all preseason. He, yeah, he's been playing, and I they're not holding back on that. So um, I, I would I would suspect that he will play as much as he can. One more argument for the Spurs is that part of their tanking strategy last year, and I apologize, someone pointed this out on Twitter and I thought it was interesting, but I forgot who pointed it out, was that they did a really good job of limiting the minutes of their best players playing together. So yeah. for instance, if you look at the guy, the three guys who had the best on-off numbers last season for the Spurs, it was Trey Jones, Zach Collins, and Jeremy Sohan. They played 155 minutes together, those three guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ask you, Andrew, who do you think are the the three best players on the Spurs, the guys you would want to play together? Yeah, it's probably Vassell, Sohan, and Keldon Johnson are probably the, the three best. You can throw in a Zach Collins in the mix if you'd like, but those are probably the three. So those three, Vassell, Sohan, Keldon Johnson, under 300 minutes played together last season. So there is some upside that not just adding Wimbanyama, but you're also hopefully, you know, as long as everyone stays healthy, going to be playing all of your best players together more. You're going to see, uh, you know, the fruits of that over the course of the entire season. Yeah. The arguments against, they're the second youngest team in the league. Young teams tend not to win, though we saw OKC last year do it. Uh, The surprise team usually comes from a team with a new head coach. I didn't mention this earlier, but... 38 of the 42 teams that have been surprise teams over the past 25 years had coaches who were in their first three seasons. Mm-hmm. 30 of the 42, 30 of the 42 had coaches in their first or second year. Uh, that does not sound like coach Greg Popovich, who I believe is in his like 27th or 28th <laughs> season. He's a little uh, bit I off. Would, 
I, I would just argue that uh, Pop just turns over a new leaf. He's a new. He's he is like new Pop. When we new when Pop. we talked to him in OKC last week, he talked about how, and this doesn't sound like an old school coach at all. He talked about how the days of treating players the same are over. That you can't treat players the same. Which doesn't sound like a guy who's been around the league for that long. Uh, but he has. And so I just, I don't know. It's I'm impressed with the way that he like reinvents himself through the years. I mean, that's that's how you have this success and this longevity. So I don't know. Like, I, obviously, he's not a new coach. But new mindset? Does that count? <laughs> So pop, pop 2.0, you would like you would uh, like to uh, petition us to like, count him as a new coach. It's probably like Pop 7.0. Probably. It, in fact, if you look at the uh, all the surprise teams, I believe there was only one team who had a coach who had had uh, more than five years of experience with wow. with that team, and it was Jerry Sloan back in the 0304 season with the Jazz. He was hey. he was in his 16th year that time. So yeah. uh, listen. It could happen, but it wouldn't fit the profile yeah, of yeah. The, the surprise teams we've seen so far. Uh, the last question would be, will they be motivated to push for wins over getting more developmental minutes for their more raw players on the roster? They can they can say, you know, Pop can say that winning is more important now, but they have a lot of young guys on this roster. You know, guys like City Sissoko, who I really like. Are they yeah. going to find minutes for those players in a normal season might be just towards the back of the rotation and not really play that much. Or are they truly going to be focused on just playing their best players who are, who are still young, but maybe not giving those developmental minutes as easily and, and sending those guys to the G league more. I, I think that's yeah. another question. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so that is the Spurs next on our list. Also with an over under of 28 and a half, the Portland trailblazers who last year mm. won 33 games so the target for this year, 39 wins plus six on last year. Um, similar to the Spurs, the main argument for the Trailblazers is their first round draft pick this year, Scoot Henderson. You know, people say, oh, this guy, he might have been the number one pick in most drafts. You know, a lot of people saying that. And similar to the Wemby argument, if he is a generational, generational star, if you do believe that, is it possible that he is good immediately? He is very young. But he has gotten really high quality experience over these last two years being in the G League. So maybe, you know, you could argue is is he more ready than your average rookie to perform in the NBA? That would kind of be the argument you would want to give if you expect them to be a surprise team. I think the yeah. other argument for the Blazers is that the Dame trade didn't end up being picks plus young players, which I think a lot of us kind of assumed it would be. It ended up being picks plus key rotation players from good playoff teams. You know, Rob Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, DeAndre Ayton, you throw in Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, that is five proven NBA players. I mean, you mm -hmm. can, we just talked about the Wizards and, we, you know, oh, they have all these vets, you know, wouldn't you love some of these Wizards vets? You compare their <laughs> vets to the Blazers vets. It is a pretty significant step up in talent. Yeah. Just, just comparing the two groups. However, their over-under is only four games higher than the Wizards. So, yep. you know, we mentioned the Wizards as a potential team who could have that, you know, OKC CP3 year where they just kind of aren't expected to do anything and kind of show up out of nowhere. You know, why couldn't that be the Blazers? You know, if they all stay healthy, hover around 500. Is, is that possible? Now, the arguments against, even though I just mentioned all those great vets, they are still the third youngest team in the league, average age of 23.7. Because once you get those past those five vets and Matisse Thibel, Roster gets very young. Of the 20 guys mm -hmm. currently listed on the Blazers roster on Basketball Reference, 12 are either rookies or in their second year. And then you factor wow. in that two of those vets, two of those five vets that we're excited about, Rob Williams and Brogdon, have significant injury histories. And you start imagining the scenario where this roster becomes very thin very quick. You know, yeah. if, if Rob Williams and Malcolm Brogdon are missing any significant time, all of a sudden, you're putting a lot of minutes into first-year or second-year players, which yeah. which ultimately probably is a good thing for the Blazers because they want to see what they have with these young guys. But it would be an argument against them being a surprise team. Um, yeah, another also, argument, also, those guys are going to have maladies all year. Like, like Brogdon like, comes yeah. with them, and so does Robert Williams. They probably played more for the Celtics last year because they were playing for a winning team. 
And yeah, maybe you just wonder if you're the Blazers, will they be motivated to push like, through? Yeah, they're like, hey, and and this happened with the Thunder in their first year when they just basically sent Al Horford home and just yeah. said, hey, you know what? And and it, I think it helped like propel like this like second half of his career that he got so much rest. And so you just wonder if like if they're able to find a landing spot for Jeremy Grant before the deadline. They let Malcolm Brogdon just kind of rest if they can't find a landing spot for him. And like, would anybody be surprised if Rob Williams is shelved for 60 games? Like, I don't know that I would be that surprised by that. And then like Anthony Simons hasn't proven himself to be a winner in this league. Shaden Sharp has not either. Scoot Henderson is a rookie. Like those are your main dudes. Uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton, is, he's going to be dominating. Is he going to be dominating? I don't know. Maybe, perhaps. Uh, kind of going along with what you just said, you know, another argument against the Blazers would be that potential for more trades coming. You know, if yeah. they don't get off to a good start and they start getting offers for guys like Rob Williams or Brogdon or Jeremy Grant, are they really just going to like push forward with the season, turn those down, or are they going to kind of continue to overhaul this roster, get younger, get more assets going forward? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty guarding against them. And then the last argument I had was, you know, what evidence it, do we have that Chauncey Billups is a good coach? He's yeah, been, this is his third year one. in Portland. You know, to his credit or in his art, in his defense, you know, this team, the second half of these last two seasons has been tanking. They've been trying to mm-hmm. maximize their pick. So you can't really judge him that bad. Although you could say they've done a pretty good job tanking. So <laughs> he's been yeah. a pretty good tanking coach. Yo, got to give him credit he's, for that. He's been a perfect tanking coach. They've had these like two stealth tanks that have netted yeah. them like very high level prospects. Uh, he, he, he did his job. Um, but when you're choosing a team to win 39 games, especially yeah. after they trade this, you know, generate, I mean, franchise player in Damian Lillard, do you really trust? Chauncey Billups enough to to make that big of a jump with this young team. Yeah, that would be the that, argument it's, against. It's tough. And and teams usually say, like, you know who you are after 20 games. And you look at the the games that the play that the Blazers play right out of the gate. I, I'm I'm seeing maybe one that I would say is like totally totally winnable. And obviously things happen. These if it's a surprise team, they're surprising in that they're beating teams they shouldn't beat. But they play the Pistons. And like every other team is either like a, a outside of like Utah and the Pistons are projected to be play in or better on their yeah. schedule. It is going to be really tough. And if they figure out through 20 games, if they've won like if they've won three, if they're like three and 17 through 20 games, then you wonder if it's like, hey, Rob, go ahead and have a seat. Um, and then maybe Jeremy Grant. You can find a landing spot for him. There will be a contender that will probably want somebody like him or like a mid-tier team that will want him. Or or maybe you send him back to Detroit. There will be options for them. I just wonder if the first half of the schedule is going to be too tough for them. I think that's fair. Uh, Okay, so moving on, fourth team on our list, fourth candidate is the Detroit Pistons you just mentioned. Uh, Last season won 17 games, over-unders 28 and a half again. So they have to win 39 games. Uh, we'll keep the theme going. We mentioned Wemby. We mentioned Scoot. I think the big argument for the Detroit Pistons would be Cade Cunningham. If you believe yep. that Cade Cunningham is a generational type player, well, it's his third season. You would expect a pretty significant breakout season for Cade Cunningham, especially mm-hmm. if you're predicting them to win 39 games. I think another argument for them is the motivation to win. You know, this team has won 80 games combined in the last four seasons, three of those under the direction of GM Troy Weaver. So, yep. you know, if the clock isn't ticking on Weaver, it should be. And based on what they did this offseason, it seems like it is because they kind of did everything in their power to get Monty Williams. They begged him. They gave him a lot of money to come be their coach. And you compare Monty Williams to someone like Chauncey Billups, like you can have a little bit more confidence in Monty Williams because, you know, he took a team to the finals a couple of years ago. He's a well-respected, yeah. successful coach in this league. And that's obviously why they went after him in this offseason. I think another argument for the Pistons is that potential for in-season trades. You mentioned the, the possibility, like maybe Jeremy Grant could be an option for them at some point. I think that's smart because if you're Troy Weaver 
And this is three years in a row where your team's winning around 20 games. If this season gets off the rails at all, are you really just going to let, you know, just going to sit back and let it happen for the fourth season in a row, fifth season overall? Or are you going to make some of those big trades? I think that's an argument for the Pistons that they could be motivated to do those types of deals. Yeah. Um, and then the last argument They just haven't is, done the right deals, though. I mean, Weaver has made, has made like some of the trades that he's made. Like yeah. to get James Wiseman. Marvin I mean, Bagley. Marvin Bagley. Um, like these haven't just quite worked out for them. And so you just wonder if he's dug himself too big of a hole. You look at this roster, like the guys that are going to make the difference, and this is the same for teams like the Rockets, is it has to be your young guys that help you make the jump. It's not going to be Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Joe Harris, Monty Morris, who, by the way, may not even be in the rotation, according oh, yeah. to our own James Edwards, which is just mind-blowing, which almost signals to me, we are going to lose. We are going to lose so many games because the guys that are going to play a majority of the minutes are all born in the year 2000 or after. So these are young guys, under 23 years old. Sasser, Wiseman, Beef Stew, Killian Hayes, apparently is going to play. Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, Jalen Duran, who's going to anchor the defense is their youngest player like that just does not ring as a roster that is going to make some big jump to me they're 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 just too young and that what andrew's referencing so james edwards third who's been on this podcast he's you know very plugged in with the pistons he wrote an article that was based on the premise that monty williams has said he only wants a 10-man rotation and yeah. so based on conversations james has had he came up with what he guessed would be the 10-man rotation and did not have Joe Harris and Monty Morris in that 10-man rotation, which we both thought was really interesting because you know those were two of the vets they went out and got this summer to kind of bolster this young squad. Yeah. If they really weren't in that 10-man rotation, like, yeah, like you mentioned, super young. In fact, my main argument against the Pistons, youngest team in the league, younger than any of these other teams, average age 23.4. Of the 21 players currently listed on their basketball reference roster, five have more than three years of NBA experience. This is an incredibly yeah. young roster. So, yeah. Another argument against would be just the limited minutes so far between their core pieces. So, for instance, yeah. Cade and Jaden Ivey, they've played 255 minutes together. Cade and Jalen Duren have played 51 minutes together. Expecting all of this to come together that quickly, to the tune of 39 wins, with a brand new coach, it feels like it's asking a lot. And yeah. for me... I think my main hang-up with the Pistons is as much as I like their individual pieces, I'm not sold on the overall roster construction yet. You know, I look at that starting lineup that they'll probably have. You know, you believe in Bogdanovich, assuming he starts as a shooter, but we haven't seen it yet from Cade. Like, Cade needs to shoot because yep. Jalen Duren is a non-shooter. Asar Thompson probably isn't going to be a shooter in his first year. And then Beef Stew, I mean, he's willing to shoot them, but he hasn't shot above 33% through three seasons in the NBA. No one's really guarding him out there. He's not really providing spacing. So I really yeah. worry about just the overall lack of shooting, especially if you if Joe Harris isn't in the rotation. Like, that is one of yeah. the guys you do trust in terms of his shooting. Um, yeah. So I like a lot of the, indiv the individual pieces, but I just feel like there's still so much to find out about this roster and how they work together. And yeah. because of that... I think that's an argument against them getting to 39 wins. Final argument, that win total, 39 wins, would represent a 22-win jump from last season, which would be the largest among all these seven candidates. Now, that is not impossible. Uh, as recently as the 21-22 season, the Timberwolves made a 23-win jump. But before that, yeah. you have to go back to the 2014-15 just to find a team that made at least a 20-win jump. So it's not impossible, but that is more rare in the realm of uh, surprise teams. Yeah, okay. I mean, you think of the teams that won 39 games last year in the East. I mean, you've got the Raptors and the Bulls and the Heat were like all around there, the, the Atlanta Hawks. And like a, some of those teams really disappointed, you know, and won around 39 games. The, yeah. the Pistons just seem like on a, they seem like they're in a different galaxy than those teams. Like that they, for them to reach the level of those teams just feels it just feels like such a stretch for them to be considered there and a lot of it is just that they lost Cade Cunningham for a year yeah and yeah. are we sure that he's going to be that good right out the gate maybe he can be but I think all of it rests on Cade's shoulders like every ounce of this 
rests on his shoulders because the rest of the team, like you said, just doesn't really fit. Yeah, it is, it is definitely a bet on Cade. Uh, moving on, fifth team, Charlotte Hornets. Last season, 27 games or 27 wins. Over-under this year is 31 and a half. By the way, all these over-unders from BetMGM, and I just looked them up to double-check it, so they should be accurate. <laughs> Uh, so 31 and a half over under means that the Hornets would need to win 42 games plus 15 Oof. on last season. Now, the main argument for the Hornets, depending on what happens, which we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but the starting lineup that was assumed to be the starting lineup is basically the same starting lineup that led them to 43 wins two seasons ago. The only difference is replacing Mason Plumlee with Mark Williams which seems like a, a good swap. You know, Mark Williams has mm -hmm. been pretty impressive uh, through his rookie season. You don't have to do a ton of projection in the way you do with these other teams. You know, this group of guys, when healthy, have won this amount of games previously. We've seen them do it already. Another argument for the Hornets is that uh, LaMelo Ball only played 36 games last season. And the last time we saw him play a full season, he was a 20-year-old All-Star. So now we're talking about a guy in his... He's, I'm assuming he's 22 years old. He's already very good. It makes sense that he would continue to get better as he ages through his 20s. So LaMelo coming back, if he's playing a full season, that's likely going to be a very good player leading this team. Arguments against the Hornets. I mentioned that they won 43 games two seasons ago, the 21-22 season. Yep. The main argument against would be this isn't two seasons ago. Things were different yeah. two seasons ago. There were a lot more obvious tanking teams across the league two seasons ago. In the East specifically, I mean, right out of the gate, you had Detroit and Orlando, who you know from game one were tanking. And then Indiana quickly became a tanking team. I think they ended up with 25 games. All of those teams won 25 games or fewer. In the East this year, Washington appears to be the only team that maybe isn't super motivated to win. Although we just you know made the case for them that they have all these vets. Maybe they'll be better than mm -hmm. expected. I don't feel like there is an obvious couple of teams that are going to be, you know, in the 20 to 25 range. And that goes for yeah. across the league, really. I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but the over-unders this year are super high. There is one yeah. team with an over-under below 28 and a half. So, yes, they won 43 games, but it was a different league. It was a different conference. Other thing is, as bad as their health was last year, it was extremely good two years ago. All of mm -hmm. Kelly Oubre, LaMelo, Rogier, Plumlee, Cody Martin, Bridges played at least 71 games. Now, Kelly Gordon Oubre. Hayward only played 50 that year, but he hasn't played more than 52 games in four consecutive seasons. So that's kind of the expectation mm -hmm. for Gordon. Mm -hmm. They'll likely be healthier this season, but will they be as healthy as two years ago? Now, the yeah. other argument against the Hornets and this is, you know, depending on your opinion, this could be just based on off-court stuff or it could influence the on-court stuff, which is basically how this franchise has handled their off-court issues going back to last year with Miles Bridges, the yeah. domestic violence charges that he got last summer, new charges that were just a couple weeks ago. He, by all appearances, is still working out with the team. So this yeah. leads to a, a scenario where it's like, okay, either he's going to play somehow and I have to make a decision whether I'm, whether I even want to root for this franchise. Which, by the way, go check out. Uh, I believe his name's James Dater. He is an Australian, I think. I remember from the article. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He he wrote an article for SB Nation this week about his reasoning behind why he's decided to stop following the Hornets, who have been his favorite team since the mid '90s, largely surrounding. You know, everything that has gone on with how they've handled the Miles Bridges situation going back to last summer. I think that's a perfectly reasonable take for him to make. And and I think when you're looking at a team as, as a surprise team, it's got to be a team you want to root for throughout the whole season. So if you wouldn't yeah. want to pick the Hornets for that reason alone, I think it's perfectly understandable. The flip side of that is if he doesn't play which I think for some Charlotte Hornets fans, they would love to just be done with Miles Bridges, just to never see him on yeah. their team again. Well, in that case, yeah. the team's probably getting worse. Like now you're asking a lot of Brandon Miller, who's a rookie, to come in and immediately be a winning player. So yep. I think either way you're looking at it, it could influence your interest in picking Charlotte as your uh, surprise team. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't pick them for a lot of reasons. I, I just don't think they're going to be very good. Uh, two... The way they handled the Kai Jones situation, 
Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Just because it was to the Bridges situation is absurd to me, and it shows like how shameless they are about these situations. Like Kai Jones, what was he doing? Like, was he a nuisance to them? Yes. Is did he get into legal trouble like Miles Bridges? Not no. that we know of. No. Not that we're aware of, and maybe he did, but I, not that we're aware of. But because of the nuisance he was, and because he wasn't very good, they were willing to cut ties with him. Right. Also, none of this would matter at all if they hadn't whiffed on so many draft picks. Like if they didn't whiff on James Booknight, JT Thor. Uh, there, there's just been too many times that they have whiffed on first round draft picks that have made this matter even more. It's put more pressure on them to have to try to keep Miles Bridges because they haven't been able to draft anybody. Like they have set this up for themselves. And like morally, I think what they've done is wrong to keep this guy around. There should be, and some of this should be the league should be able to step in and say like, no, like Miles Bridges, like your, your whole situation is frozen until everything is settled until we figure this out. And if you're the Hornets, why would you want that stink on you? Like we don't we don't have to keep going on, but to me, I'm just ready to kind of boycott the Hornets as well and like just yeah, kind of be done with them. And last thing I'll say is the nicest thing I could say about the Hornets is that I don't think this is a Hornet specific issue like you mentioned. I think this is a league-wide issue. I yeah. I don't have confidence that any team in this position wouldn't have made the same decisions they did because Miles Bridges is seen as a good player, scored, you know, 20 plus points per game the last time we saw him. I think when these are bad players, you know, players at the end of a roster, it's very easy for teams to just cut ties and feel like they've done yep. the noble thing. I think we really see what these teams are thinking when it comes to a player that actually matters to the win-loss column where they will mm-hmm. they will bend over backwards to continue associating themselves with these players and that is not just the hornets that has been a league-wide thing going back many many years. Um yep. okay. Moving on to Hey, the hey, but shout, shout out shout out to the Hornets for signing RJ Hunter, bringing him back into the NBA. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Yeah. I re- I remember really liking RJ Hunter during that draft. <laughs> I did too. That that was the draft when the when the Celtics took Rogier at like sixteen yep. and Hunter at like twenty nine mm-hmm. or whatever, and everyone was like, uh-huh. oh, I, "I don't mind the picks, but I think they should have been flipped." RJ <laughs> Hunter should have been, been at sixteen, <laughs> and and now they find themselves back on a uh, a different roster with a different team. Uh, well, that's great. I like RJ Hunter. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, next is the Houston Rockets. Last year, 22 wins over under 31 and a half, same as the Hornets, which means they need to win 42 games. Now, the argument for the Rockets start with the franchise overhaul. They got a new coach, Ime Udoka. He's been successful already in the NBA. You know, personality wise, he seems like a 180 compared to Steven Silas. A lot of the issues that people talked about this team over the past two seasons would seem to be fixed by someone like Yudoka, who's going to be very hard on players, especially if they're not playing defense. The other thing is that they brought in a lot of vets. Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jeff Green, Reggie Bullock, Aaron Holiday. Those are all good, solid NBA vets. I mean, in case of Fred Van Vliet, like a player who has been very good, a player who's won a championship, a player who's been, you know, like first, second, third best player on very good teams over the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big franchise overhaul. Again, similar to the Pistons, another argument would be that they're motivated to win. They've won 59 games combined over the last three seasons, all under the direction of Raphael Stone. Similar to Troy Weaver, probably should be pressure on Stone, and their offseason move suggests that there was pressure. Another thing is that their pick is top four protected. So unless this season goes totally off the rails, it's unlikely they're going to be in a situation where they're just tanking to try to get in that bottom four. You know, even if they're hanging around like the eight to 10 range, it's probably likely that they're going to be motivated to continue focusing on wins. They also have Brooklyn's unprotected first, so it's not like they're going to have zero first in this upcoming draft. Other Another argument for probably getting a breakout season from someone, right? I mean, they have so many young blue chip prospects, whether it's Jalen Green, yep. Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shingun, maybe even Amen Thompson as the rookie. Like if you're picking mm-hmm. Houston for a surprise team, you're kind of betting on at least one of those guys taking a significant leap. Because as good as we think Fred Van Vliet is, as solid as Dylan Brooks has been over the years, it's going to be those young players. How much better do they get this year is going to determine what their final win-loss record is. Arguments against. That over-under is high. 31 and a half means they have to hit 42 wins, which is 42 and 40. That's a winning season. If you take last year as an example... They would need to finish ahead of six teams in the West. Two years ago, 42 wins required you to finish ahead of seven teams in the West. So let's say in this scenario, you're you're feeling good about the the Rockets, but you start doing this exercise. You're like, okay, well, they'll finish ahead of Portland, San Antonio, and Utah in this scenario. You still need at least three more teams. It's just hard to look at a team that has been as bad as Houston has been and immediately project them to pass all of these teams in the West. You know, yeah. even in the case of like the Thunder last year, like the team that they ended up passing was Dallas. You know, that that, that was kind of like a surprise. Um, maybe maybe you could argue Portland as well because of what happened with Portland. You know, there's going right. to be teams that have injuries that fall back, that end up tanking. But that is just asking a lot of this Houston team to not just get to 500. You're asking them to be a winning basketball team, 42 and 40. <laughs> um, and and yeah. like I said, that's going to require a 20-game improvement and not impossible, but that is a very big jump, as I mentioned with the Pistons. It's it's going to be really tough offensively because the guys that they're relying on to make shots for them have all been historically very inefficient. So we we all know Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are coming and they're going to take shots. Both shot around 40% from the field last year. Like that that's not good enough. So did Jalen Green, so did Jabari Smith Jr. Those are probably the four guys that are going to take the most shots for this team. And then Alperin Shangun is like your lone, like efficient shooter on the team because he just took a ton of shots around the basket. And he's going to be asked to take a lot of shots away from the basket this year. I just wonder if they can be efficient enough as an offensive team. It's it's asking for, like you said, a leap from somebody, particularly Jalen Green. He he had an interview with the with uh Shamsharania saying that he feels an all-star leap is coming. Well, in order for them to even get there, 
it, you kind of need it. It has to happen. It has to happen. It can't be. I really just don't think that Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are going to come in and lift this team there without a Jalen Green leap. And I still think it's a lot to ask. He's still really young. He has not had uh, the best coaching through his first few seasons. It's it's asking a lot for them to actually get there. Or it's going to be Shangun, or it's going to be Jabari Smith stepping up as like their best young player. And Shangun hadn't played very well in the preseason. Uh, I think it's a lot to ask of him as well. And then Jabari, I just don't know that Jabari kind of rings as more of a complimentary player than somebody who's just going to take over the franchise. So to me, it's I'm in Thompson, who's a rookie who is not a shooter, seems unlikely to be that guy. I think it rests on the shoulders of Jalen Green to take this team to the next level. It's it's just it's asking a lot. 42 is way too much. I mean, everybody talks about like the huge leap the Thunder made. The Thunder didn't win 42 games last year. They won 40. You know, to to become the surprise team, the Rockets would have to be a better version of what the Thunder were last year. And they seem way too far away. They were not a Fred Van Vliet and a Dylan Brooks away from being that team. They're just not. Uh, probably not, uh, though we will see. So would that be pretty amazing if Andrew picked the Houston Rockets now, wouldn't it? Maybe he's, <laughs> maybe he's trying to throw you off the scent. Uh, yeah, with, with Jabari, I mean, we saw kind of what the upside and ceiling could be during Summer League. Um, and so that was very exciting. Uh, we'll have to see how much of that translates to the regular season. Uh, but like you said, like there's other guys who are probably going to have the ball in their hands a lot more than Jabari. Though Jabari should get a lot of more better shots uh, this mm-hmm. season. Um, yeah, okay, sure. last team, Utah Jazz. Last season, 37 wins. This year, over-under is 35 and a half, which means they need to win 46 games. Arguments oh. four. Arguments four, uh, let's start with this team was probably closer to a 500 team last season compared to their final record of you know 37 wins. There were definitely some late season shenanigans to get them down to that ninth spot in the draft. If they had have gone all out, even with their midseason trades, maybe they win another three to five games and they're like a 40 to 42 win team. I think mm-hmm. the combination of Larry Markinen, Walker Kessler gives this team a really nice floor. When Markinen yeah. was on the team or was on the floor last season, Utah was plus 10.8 points per possession better. That was right around the impact of having Joel Embiid on the floor for the Sixers last season. And then when Kessler was on the floor, Utah was a plus 6.2. If those two guys are healthy, they probably play a lot more than the 940 minutes they played together last season. And maybe that combination, playing more minutes together, just boost up that floor, whatever it is. I think another argument for is that their coach appears to be a very good coach. He's in year two, so it fits the uh, profile of past surprise teams. And then the last one, which I think is pretty interesting, is the combination of the John Collins trade and the rumors that they were interested in Drew Holiday this summer suggests that this team isn't interested in taking a step back. They're not settling. They're pushing forward. Maybe that also increases the chances of an in-season trade to boost the roster, if you were gonna if you were gonna pick them. Now, some arguments mm-hmm. against. While they were probably closer to a 500 team, you have to at least give some of that credit to Mike Conley, who they did trade midseason. And related to that, for sure, who is the point guard? We got Colin Sexton. Taylor Horton Tucker, Chris Dunn, Keontae George, all players who, you know, fans are probably excited about for one reason or another. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. You know, they're probably most mm-hmm. excited about Keontae George because he's the new rookie and it has been looking pretty good. But do any of those yep. players sound like the starting point guard for a 46-win team? 46 Ugh. wins. Yeah, the, the only guys that are listed as point guards, Colin Sexton and Chris Dunn. Everybody else is like more combo-y guards, like, Horton Tucker and Abaji and Clarkson and George, like those guys are more, those guys are more like combo guards. And, and honestly, Colin like Sexton table. isn't like your traditional point guard either. He's um, like throw him in the. Co- I mean, you can honestly throw every single one of them, including Chris Dunn, into like the combo guard realm. Like I, I just don't think of any of them as like a true point guard. But their interest in Drew Holiday suggests well, maybe they're looking to upgrade that starting point guard position yeah. and maybe they'd be willing to do that during season. I don't know who that player would be, but suggest maybe they would, they're looking at that already. Um, mm-hmm. Another argument against potentially is that OKC owns their first rounder, but it's protected top 10. So if you think about this team, you know, around the all-star break, you know, post all-star break, if they're around 500, a few games under, 
kind of like Dallas was last year. They're only a couple games out from keeping their pick. What do they decide to do at that point? Do they pack it in mm-hmm. or do they just keep playing it out and potentially give up you know, a 12th pick in this draft? Do they even care about losing that pick? I don't know, but that might be an argument against. Uh, another argument against those, those rookies I mentioned, Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, as with any rookie, like how quickly can you really expect them to contribute to winning? You know, if those two rookies are playing significant roles, it would be pretty incredible for them to get 46 wins. And I just keep coming back to that number, 46 wins. That is a lot. Last <laughs> year, that is the four seed. That is home court advantage. Yeah. <laughs> like if you told, if you more than Phoenix, more than the Clippers, more than, more than the Warriors. So it's just like, there, there's just no way. Just yeah. If, no if way. you, if you could tell me. If you, if you had an accurate crystal ball, not just a crystal ball, accurate one, you could tell me which point guard they were trading for, I might f- be willing to do it because I do like kind of the infrastructure of this team, both with mm-hmm. Kessler and Markinen and their head coach, Danny Ainge, who I feel like is going to find good deals for this team. I might be able to buy into it, but without knowing that, without knowing if that trade is ever going to come to fruition, yeah, it, it's kind of tough. It's tough. Okay, so those are the yeah. seven candidates, Andrew. Real quickly, I'll mm-hmm. go back through them. Uh, so listeners, listen close. You know, Pick out which one uh, you would like to pick. We've got Washington, 24 and a half. They need to win 35 games. Spurs, 28 and a half. Need to win 39. Portland, 28 and a half. Need to win 39. Detroit, 28 and a half. Need to win 39. Houston, 31 and a half. Needs to win 42. Charlotte, 31 and a half. Needs to win 42. And then Utah, 35 and a half. Needs to win 46. All right. So those are our options. And by the way, there are some seasons where there is not a surprise team. That has happened. And boy, would I love to just say that none of these teams are going to be a surprise team. Uh, but that would be really boring. That would be a really boring end uh, to this segment. So, uh, and <laughs> and yeah, no one. Uh, they're all terrible. And no one. Um, so we did pick... Are separate teams, and so Andrew, on the yep. count of three, I'm going to say uh, mm-hmm. three, two, one, uh, go. And then after I say go, you will say uh, your team name. We'll say it at the same time. See if we pick the same team. Three, two, one, go. Washington Spurs. Wizards. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you said at the beginning, you're not supposed to feel good about it. And I can say with certainty, I don't feel good about picking the Wizards. I okay. feel really so, bad about it. I almost feel like you're cursing Wizards fans. Like they just, they finally broke free of this I like know. mediocrity. This, they're on the treadmill yeah. and you're saying yeah. they're going to win 35 games again. I think, I think there is a better chance of that. I mean, the truth is like 35 wins still does, still lands you in the lottery. It's true. Yeah, it does. Know? So, you can as, still get, as Wizards I mean, they, fans are well aware of, as they did last year, the so last three seasons you win as many as you did last year. Uh, I mean, teams like the the Pacers, Wizards, Magic; those were all in. They were all in the same range of each other. I think this Wizards team has enough depth as long as they don't make deals that they can get to this level. It's not asking a whole lot. A lot of these other teams, I I just found that, man, the leap that we had to make with so many of these teams is up to like the play-in or better, which is just a harder range to get to. 35 wins is not a hard range to get to when you have the depth that they have. I like what Bilal Kulabali has done so far in the preseason. He doesn't look lost. He looks like he's going to contribute on defense. And he's not being handed like a giant role. So guys like Jordan Poole and Corey Kispert can take that off his hands. Kyle Kuzma is going to take a ton of possessions. And then, like I said, they have a ton of shooting off the bench. And I was I was choosing between them and the Blazers. Or like the two teams that I just have been flip-flopping on since we have started this activity. And I just can't shake that I just don't know if Chauncey Billups can do it because I, I think it's it's within the coach's power and I just and they also just have guys that are shelved too much and I just don't know if there's a uh, a prove it factor with a lot of those guys too whereas with the Wizards I feel like there's like a massive prove it factor with some of the players that are on this roster and I think that a guy like Jordan Poole 
wants to show that like what a huge mistake the Warriors made. And I think he's going to do what he can to play the right way. And he can really fill it up. So do I feel good about it? No. Uh, do I like Tyus Jones? Yes. Uh, do I think that Daniel Gafford is a good NBA player? Yes. Do I think they have lots of good NBA players? Yes, I do. Uh, if they keep their team together, then I think that there's a chance that the Wizards can pull this off where the Blazers, I just got more and more squeamish about them, especially in the Western Conference where there's just a lot less wins to be had. And also, I think that they are like heading down a tanking trajectory, even though that maybe their top end talent is a little bit better than the Wizards. I don't know. I think the Wizards are headed for another very, very, very Wizardsy season. Wow. Well, I, I feel terrible for Wizards fans that you've done this to them. You've cursed <laughs> them in this way. Uh, now, I probably have to explain uh, my pick because I did take the Spurs and I need them yeah. to win 39 games. Now, I will say, talking to Shea, uh, Shea Serrano last week, him him uh, suggesting, you know, 35 wins feels doable. It would be a success. Like, at least I'm in the range. <sighs> I'm still four yeah, games away. At- but I'm in the That's range. Four games, and four games is a four games is a lot of games once you get to that range. It is. Uh, this is a bet on Victor Wembanyama. This is a bet yeah. that he is not just a good rookie. This is a bet that he yeah. is a generational player, and that he is not only going to be a highlight factory, but he is also going to be impactful from day one. And I do feel like what I've seen in and I've watched basically every game, every second of him in preseason. What I've seen in preseason suggests that he is an impactful player. He is going to impact the game from day one. It's not just going to be counting stats. It's not just going to be highlights. He looks like he's going to be a winning player, which makes sense because you look at what he did for his team in France last year and how they're doing now. Apparently, they're not doing very well anymore, Andrew, because they don't have Wimby on their team. I'm kind of buying into this idea that he might have a LeBron-like effect on the Spurs. The other part of LeBron this... LeBron plus effect, Al. LeBron no. only won 35 games in his first year. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> LeBron's LeBron went plus uh, 18. Okay. And the Spurs only yeah. have to do plus 17. Okay. So yeah. not, not as big of a jump. Yeah. All right. In your face. Uh, okay. Other reasons. Okay. <laughs> I do believe in Pop 2.0. He's, he's young yeah. now. He's 35 again. And he's a brand new coach. So he is going to fit in uh, with past surprise teams. And while I think the like the Wemby, uh, like the Wemby less talent on the Spurs, like the other guys on the roster, mm-hmm. I, I would understand the argument that the players on the Pistons have a higher talent talent level if you're just comparing those two groups of players. But I just sure. like the way they fit together on the Spurs a lot more. I really like mm-hmm. that front line with Zach Collins and Wemby. I think that's going to be yeah. really good together. I really like Devin yeah, Vassell. Me too. I think Trey Jones is, you know, a good placeholder point guard. You know, I'm not going to get too crazy with Trey Jones, but we're like you his say? brother, a great backup. Yeah, I, I, I do think he's a great backup. Um, Jeremy Sohan, I'm still interested to see what that looks like. There's been there's been some talk of Point Sohan uh, that they're going to be trying that out. He, they've they've tried it out a little in the preseason. It, yeah, played it last night. That's kind that's kind of where interesting. he was. He was like the nominal point guard for them last night, which was yeah. I mean, that was a it was a really fun lineup that they threw out there against Houston. Not that they're going to play that right. against anybody in the regular season, but like Zach Collins, Wimby, Sohan, uh, Keldon Johnson, and Vassell. I don't know. Oh, that was pretty interesting. Kind of juicy. Kind of juicy. I kind of like yeah. it. And uh, I, I do feel like there's enough shooting on this team where like if you if Wimby has space, you know, and we and I think he's been a really good passer so far. Like if he's kicking mm-hmm. out. To some of these shooters, I don't know. I, I'm I'm willing to buy into them over some of these other teams, even though I completely acknowledge like this is this is a jump I am making. This this feels a jump. definitely worse than the Cavs two years ago, because the Cavs two years yeah. ago, you could look at them even with Evan Mobley being a rookie. You're like, okay, I I could imagine a jump for Darius Garland. I've already seen Jarrett Allen be a, a really good defensive anchor. And I kind of bought into this like too big thing they were going to try out, which actually this is kind of a too big thing too with Wemby and Zach Collins. Let's go. I uh, mean, it kind of is. Now, in defense of all these other teams, I will be honest. I really thought about every single one of these other teams. I really spent like a solid five minutes on all of these other teams, really thinking yeah. it through 
because when you have to choose one of these, you're kind of forced to imagine the scenario. And there were a couple teams where I did get close, where you can kind of like squint your eyes just perfectly and see the scenario where they might win (laughs) that many games. I think the thing that is so scary and why I would actually prefer not to pick any team is because on average, surprise teams beat their over-under not by 10 games. They beat it by 14 and a half games. So like I'm talking about the Spurs getting to 39. If they match what past surprise teams have done, that's probably closer to like 43 wins, 44 wins, which of course I would never choose that. I barely want to choose them to win 39 games. So uh, this has been a very tough year, I would say. I'm just really hopeful that one of these teams does it. Because if they do, I think it'll be wildly impressive, even more than past. Because you look at those teams last year, their over-unders were like 23 and a half. They only had to get to 34, 35 wins. I know. We're asking these. That's part of the reason why I chose the Wizards. Like That's part (laughs) of the reason why I was intrigued by them. Yeah. I mean, we're asking all of these teams other than the Wizards to be in the play-in conversation up until the last day of the season, at, at, at minimum. And that is just yeah. terrifying for all these teams. So, you know, shout out to Blazers fans. Shout out to Houston fans. Like, I really did look at those two teams, really considered mm-hmm. it. Um, I just mm-hmm. couldn't get there. And honestly, what I will say about the Rockets is if the Rockets had had the same over-under as these other teams, 28 and a half, and I only needed to predict them to win 39 wins, I might have done the Rockets. I could have talked myself into it because here's 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 a bold prediction for you, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> I've been thinking about the Rockets a lot lately. Okay. I think their defense uh-huh. is going to be surprisingly good. Now, I don't know what I need to say for that to be bold. Uh, you need to say something else because okay. that, that's not enough for <laughs> okay, me. Okay, if, if I say top half defense in the league, would that be enough to get you to be like, oh, that's bold? Yeah, that's absurd. Okay, great, great, great. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because I kind of agree with you on the offense. I'm still a little wishy-washy. But, Yes, I acknowledge that they have Alperen Shingun and Jalen Green, who have traditionally not been good defenders at all. But I look at the rest yeah. of the roster, combined with the coach, and I actually think that there might be something there. And that the jump they make this season might be on the defensive end first, and then we'll figure out the offense later. So there's there's I a mean, little free bowl prediction for you, Andrew. If they're going to win a lot of games, they're going to have to. I mean, they were 29th. They had a defensive rating of 118 last Shut year. up. Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's a huge, it's a huge ask. I mean, it, maybe Dylan and Fred VanVleet, who are both good defenders, can get you there, and maybe the improvement of Jabari is going to be enough. That's just a lot. That's just a whole lot to ask. I could have stopped with just picking the Spurs, which was crazy enough. I decided to double down, <laughs> say something <laughs> that crazy. Was a, that was a weird <laughs> choice. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll see. We'll see who's right. Okay. Uh, we'll see. This is the end of this episode. However, it is time to spin the wheel. If you're first time listening, yes. every week during the season, we spin a digital wheel, which has all 30 teams' names on them. It will land on a random team. I have no control over it, okay? It's on the internet. I just press a button that says spin. <laughs> it lands on a team, and we follow that team for the next week. So whatever team lands on this week, we'll be reading all the blogs, listening to the pods. And then next week, we'll come back and have a guest, maybe a beat writer, maybe a, a fan, maybe one of the players. Wouldn't that be wild from the team? Probably that not. Be, probably not one of the players. Uh, so let's spin the wheel for the first time for the 2023-24 season. Who will be our Ooh. first Wheel of Fandom Ooh. team? That is the name of it, by the way. Wheel of Fandom. So here we go. Spinning the wheel. All 30 teams are possibilities. It could be anyone. And the first team will be... Oh. (laughs) The Portland Trailblazers. How convenient. That's actually a good one. That's actually a really good one. Uh, That's great. That's a really good one. Yeah. Maybe we could... Maybe you could do this in person with somebody in Portland. Who knows? Sure. Uh, Yeah. With a live pod. Slammy Jam live pod. Live pod in Portland. That that is a really good one because I I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about the Portland Trailblazers. So that's very very exciting. Hey, if you leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read that review on the show. Just mention Slam and Jam in the title, five stars, and then we will read it on the show. Uh, it's good to be back. This is our regular rotation now on Fridays, so you can get used to that. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of the preseason basketball and the beginning of the regular season next week. Whoa! And we'll talk to you guys again next Friday.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.